My name's Tim and I'm an alcoholic. Tim. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn and what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. Tonight is anniversary night. The format of tonight's meeting will be a main speaker who will speak for 25 minutes, followed by our information break and the anniversary celebrants. Our main speaker tonight is Preacher. Preacher, alcoholic, uh, you know, and I, I'll do those stats that, you know, that we all like to hear. I've uh, been sober since March 9th of 2001. The Atlantic group is my home group. Uh, I think most of you know who my sponsor is. I'm, don't really want to say his name, but Ron B is my sponsor. Uh, and, oh, and I'm trying to practice the principles of A's 12 steps to the best of my ability with the help of Ron and others. And uh, the last time I spoke, I listened to myself and I think I said, um, like 6,000 times. And so I'm trying to speak slowly and not repeat that. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll switch to ah uh, instead of um. This has been, first I'll just say, I, I'm going to tell my story because that's the, what we do at AA. We don't need to hear about, you know, the Atlantic group year in review from me. I can, you know, call you separately or something like that if you'd like to hear what goes on behind the scenes. But I do want to, you know, this has been a great honor for me to serve the group for a year. It's been amazing. Uh, and I certainly did not do this alone. And I'm not going to mention everybody, but Lisa, my assistant, and Tim, and I actually want you guys to stand up. These are the two that gave you guys this meeting this year. I picked out speakers and I picked out outfits. They did everything else. And, and for that, I'm eternally grateful, and they're amazing. So that's enough about that. I want to do what we do in AA, which is tell my story. So <clears throat> I was born and uh, in a little town in Wisconsin called La Crosse. And I came from a, I come from a really, really big family. And I know that I'm an alcoholic but I don't ever label anybody in my else in my family an alcoholic because for myself, I've learned that I can say that I'm an alcoholic. I can't say that you're an alcoholic or anybody else is an alcoholic. That's for me. You may do that yourself or you may call people alcoholics or call me an alcoholic. That's fine. I'm, I'm okay with all that. But I don't ever remember not being obsessed with alcohol, like as a child. I grew up, I was, I was raised with drinkers. I was raised with uh, mental illness. And I come from a family that women go to work in my family and they're like nurses and they help people. And like my sister's a social worker and the men in my family somehow do not have the let's go to work gene. They're more of the like, let's stay at home and drink until our teeth rot out. And then we'll put Budweiser into coffee cups. So it looks like we're sipping on a coffee during the day, but we're really just watching the, you know, soap operas and drinking Bud out of like a coffee cup. So that's, that's where I come from. And I will say that when I was born, I was, there was five generations, I was the fifth generation and I had 
great grand great great grandparents alive so like i spent a lot of time with a lot of my great grandparents too which was a really big blessing and stuff like that but i will say that a lot of people in my family had an interesting relationship with alcohol i don't remember the first time tasting alcohol but i do know that i was always wanting sips of everything and my uncles used to have parties and they told and these are always stories too where it's like i go okay so is this family mythology are people like embellishing these kinds of things my uncles used to have parties and they would get cases of beer and it would be bottles of beer and they'd have their friends over and i guess that when i was like two and three years old i would walk up to people and take their empty beer and go to the refrigerator and bring them a new beer but i would take that little bit and sip that and like they all thought it was so cute that i did that and which i think is so gross to hear about now that i got drinking all these bottles of people that have you know that last sip delicious and then they said i would just turn around in circles until i fell down and that they just they loved that because i never wanted to sleep as a child i didn't want to eat as a child i came out really very you know ready for drinking you know and i do and i will say that the first time i remember getting drunk was of course at a family um some cousins were getting married and we were at the elks club and i was probably in fourth or fifth grade and i drank and i drank whiskey sours all night and i got really sick and i was really drunk and i remember my mother being really really angry that i was drunk and so i guess i don't know if that's consequences or not but that's how i felt and that didn't stop me from drinking more and i just remember like i guess like being in high school i was just always figure, trying to figure out a place where we could drink you know we if we try, if we had parties and things like that like you know the police would like break up these parties and uh i have you know, I have a big family. So like my, between my cousins and uncles, we would do really terrible things. Like I, and I was always sort of the ringleader for these ideas. Like I remember I would want to get drunk, but we would go to these house parties and everybody would buy a cup for $2 and they'd have like one quarter barrel of beer. And it's like a hundred people there. Well, you know, that's not going to last for very long. So what I would do is we would say we were having a party and then we would have the keg there. And then I'd have somebody pull their pickup in the alley. And then I would call the police and say that there was a party there and then when the kids started running a couple of us would get that keg into the truck drive off and then we would go someplace else to drink after we'd collected the money from the cups so i'm not really sure how i go back to those people and refund them two dollars for the amends thing or whatever but you know that was like one thing and another way we got alcohol a couple of times was we would drive to a grocery store that was like 40 miles away or something like that this was really, you know, and my brother would like eat Alka-Seltzer and pretend like he was having a seizure. And then the kids would run in and like steal all the beer out of the refrigerator. And then he would somehow miraculously be okay. And then we would like go off with somebody else. So I guess I just tell those stories to say that even as a teenager, there was nothing I wouldn't do to get alcohol. I loved it that much. And the other thing was too, is like I said, I drank around a lot of people who drank a lot and were drunk and there seemed to be consequences. My uh, grandfather would start drinking at six o'clock in the morning. And so by the time three o'clock in the afternoon came, he was, uh, he was pretty drunk. 
and he would come home to the house, my grandmother's in his house, and my grandmother would throw plates at him and curse at him. And like that was sort of, and that, and I didn't think that that was like the most abnormal thing, but he, but I knew like he had a really bad time with alcohol because he lost his job when he was 50 years old and he never worked again. And he sat and on a bar stool from six o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon every day for the rest of his life. And he died at 63 or 64 or something like that. So and then my mother also had two brothers that I watched die who were 43 and 54. So I watched a lot of people, you know, dying, you know, and, they, and this was like real, like cirrhosis of the liver, nasty dying at home type of things with lots of family fighting and things. So growing up amongst that, and at the same time, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, I have a young family. They were always a lot of fun. I'm, Okay, I'm back. Excuse me. So, you know, that was all, it, it was good. And like, so I had a loving family, but a lot, you know, but a lot of, you know, there was a lot of chaos and there was a lot of drinking and there was a lot of, you know, drug taking. And I think my very first job, my, my very first job was um, what trimming pot for one of my uncles. I was like 10 and they grew pot. So we, you know, I learned how to trim pot and uh, learned how to, you know, separate seeds from buds and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I never liked pot though. It was not a drug for me. So uh, not that that matters one way or the other, just a little point of information, not a big fan of the marijuana myself. If it's for you, congratulations. So it's where like, I, I speak at these and I really, like all day I was going like, all right, I'm going to speak. And, you know, this is my home group. And these are the people that I've, you know, gotten sober with. And I've been at this meeting and you should be really good. Just get up there and like tell a couple. And I'm just, I, I have to go to the bathroom. That's going to be impossible. And uh, what else? And I, and I, and I don't think I'm ever going to be like this nervous. And like, I, I know you people, I, I know most of you. And it's like, <laughs> and I'm still just like, Like, I feel like my insides are being ripped out right now. And, and I, why, you know, and be sober and reasonably happy sometimes. And, you know, this is good. And this is my home group. I love you guys. It's amazing. All that. Uh, so back to the fun of getting here. So, you know, this, that, and the next thing happened in high school. I gave you a couple of stories. There was a lot of trouble surrounding drinking at times. And, you know, and my mother, you know, she would come up with these solutions for me and my brother. Like she didn't want my brother. I couldn't get my license until I was 21 because I was in front of a judge at 14 years old after totaling a car and was told not to ever even attempt to get my license until I was 21 in the state of Wisconsin. And so my brother got his license when he was 16. And of course, we liked to drink and everything like that. So my mother's solution was she rented us an apartment in La Crosse where all the bars were. So we lived above a bar so that my brother wouldn't drive, <laughs> which seems so crazy to me. But like, and I, you know, so that was, you know, that was, that was her solution for that stuff. You know, she had to, you know, so anyway, so that happened. And then 
I'll fast forward a bit here. The when I was, I guess, twenty years old, I got really drunk, and I was working at a pizza place. Really great job for me. So I was working at this pizza place, and I met this woman who was probably, I don't know, she was quite a bit older than me, but she was the manager there, and we decided to go out drinking one night. And then one night turned into like two nights. And then all of a sudden she said, well, let's go to New York. And I was like, absolutely, let's do that. And, uh, I certainly wasn't going to continue living where I was living. And so I came to New York about, it was, I think, the first week in January of 1990. I was in a blackout. I, you know, so I was coming uh, sort of a blackish gray out, whatever. I don't, there was things I remember, things I didn't. I do know this, that like, this is interesting. I mean, we were drunk. We got to the airport in La Crosse, Wisconsin. You had to take a little, little tiny plane from La Crosse to Minneapolis. And then you got on like a normal plane, I guess, from New York to JFK. I mean, from Minneapolis to JFK. And I didn't have an ID. This was 1990. I can't believe you could do this then. In 1990, I traveled to New York by plane with this woman. We got to the airport at like six o'clock in the morning. We were clearly intoxicated, like clearly intoxicated. She wrote a check for the tickets. No identification on the plane. And then, you know, we got to New York and I was like, as soon as I got to the airport, I was like, and I'd never been any place in my life. I was like, you know, a crazy kid. And uh, I came to New York and I always tell the stories of like, I thought that everybody in New York was famous because I got off the plane and I ran into that uh, guy. He was some like novelty act from, I don't know, from when, 60s or 50s or something named Tiny Tim. And I, I practically ran right into him. And then right after that, I ran into, um, who's that guy? Uh, and then right after that, I like, what? There's David Soul from Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> A lot of you probably don't know who that is. Oh, I also never thought I would stay sober long enough to be speaking at a meeting where I go, oh, you kids don't remember that. But here I am. Oh. Really something else. Mm -hmm. That's really. Whew. So I thought it was great. I go to this, uh, so this this guy picks us up at JFK. And, it, and I guess it was this woman's former boyfriend or something. I don't know how this, the, I don't know how I get myself in these sort of situations, but we'd been drinking at a bar. I remember the, the Giants were playing football on TV. I was very excited. I think it was in 1990. I think they were doing pretty well that year. I'm not a Giants fan, just FYI. But I, I was excited to be watching the game. And so uh, really drunk and, you know, I guess this was God helping me out. We had walked to this bar and we're in Dobbs Ferry, New York, by the way, which I've never been back to. Uh, we're at this bar drinking and then, you know, and I'm really, really like, I'm like at this point, like so drunk that like, what I, and, and also like right when we got to Dobbs Ferry, I said, I said to this guy, can I use the phone? He's like, sure. And I, and I, and I'm like, mom, I just got to New York. 
I'm living here now. I'll talk to you later. She's like, what? And then I call my job. I'm absolutely quitting the pizza place. I'm here now in New York. This is what we're doing. And, you know, really, really good with the plans like this too, you know, really good. I, uh, so we come back I'm and I'm so, I'm really like walking back to this guy's house like this. I'm like double vision, so hammered. I can barely stand. And I'm just waiting to lay down. And I'm awakened by this woman yelling my name while she's having sex with this guy. And all of a sudden this huge guy with like tattoos, he was a Marine, bursts into this room I'm passed out in and starts punching me in the face. And so I grabbed my little green Benetton backpack. I had one change of clothing and $17. And I ran to that train station and I got, and I was bleeding, bruised up, hammered on the, in the train. And then what happened? And so I all, so I got to Grand Central Station and, you know, I looked around Grand Central Station and I was like, this is it. I'm home. This is perfect. You have $17. You have no idea where you're going, but something's going to work out. Let me tell you. So I called this woman from my hometown who was this wonderful, wonderful, forever giving, lovely, I guess it doesn't matter, but I guess it's descriptive. She was a Mormon girl and she was amazing. And she asked me to come and stay with her in Chelsea. And I was like, oh, this is how we do it, you know? And I got a job, like within three days. I had to get a passport to get the job. They wanted you to have ID for a job. So um, when I went to the passport office, I had my mother ship. What, what about this too? You could go to the passport office. And I had my birth certificate and my high school yearbook. <laughs> and they were like, here's your passport. Weird. Uh, I don't think they take a yearbook anymore. If I, you know, may have changed. So, you know, and of course I'm running out of time. I mean, I'm, te- you know, I'm not, I'm not even nearly, I haven't even gotten to rehab yet. So, of course, drinking all the time, acting up, acting out, you know, and, and I never knew how to be responsible about anything nor did I ever like pay for anything or I, I was always like, you know, I, I was always counting on the kindness of older gentlemen to take care of everything. And, you know, and that's what I did. You know, I got a job at the antique boutique selling used jeans. The first week I was here, that job lasted like at least four days because, you know, why am I going to continue working there when I met some guy who's like, you know, I would really like to hang out with you. And I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? And he took me to the Plaza Hotel. He checked me into a room and handed me an American Express card. And I said, well, I guess whatever you'd like to do, let's go. I'm living like this now. So, you know, and and that's what I did. Like I traveled with him. I traveled with other guys. I sort of thought, and it's very funny because I come like really like from nothing, like really nothing, nothing, nothing. And it's so funny how I was so easily, I was so able to adapt so easily to a completely different lifestyle. But I guess that's, you know, I guess that's sort of human nature. We, we can feel comfortable when we're like around luxury and like money and stuff like that. We don't generally go like, Oh, this is so hard to have money. (laughs) But always, you know, and just 
the Italian this story, but it's always drinking, always drinking. And I just thought that there, I thought the party would just go on forever. But then like, you know, of course, you know, like a lot of, a lot of people, you know, I, I, I really loved cocaine then too. And, you know, and I loved taking, you know, psychedelics and ecstasy and stuff. So then, uh, and I guess, you know, and I often say too, like, you know, I was very much, even when I was out there, I very much separated drugs and alcohol. Like I would drink all night at work because by this time I was bartender. And then at two o'clock in the morning, the drug dealer came. And when my drug dealer came, all the booze was put away from me. And it was only water because I didn't want, I wanted to have that pure feeling <laughs> with just water. And, and I think I probably smoked like 200 cigarettes a day. And, you know, and that's, and so as a result of doing that stuff, I just started showing up in emergency rooms, you know, and I, and I guess I have to tell this story in honor of my one friend, because what would be a night up here talking without mentioning the Grateful Dead? So I am having just a nightmare of a night. I've overdosed and uh, I'm in the hospital and it's the same, and like the Grateful Dead was playing at the Madison Square Garden. So, so like I'm at this hospital and I am like, my heart's ready to jump out of my chest. I'm like completely losing it. I'm like in on a gurney and it's all these like dead heads, like having bad trips around me. And I was like, and I thought like the main reason I don't want to die is these are not the last people I want to see. And I kept saying to my friend, these earrings I'm wearing are from Tiffany's and you have to make sure they go to my sister if I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> Just do that. So this is the kind of stuff that started happening to me. And then friends of mine were like, you have to do something about your drinking. And I, and I was like, look, I might have a little problem with cocaine and I am completely willing to see a psychiatrist like once a month because I do, but because I do have a really crazy mother, but I like, we're not doing anything about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not drinking. I'm not quitting drinking and I'm certainly not going to that place, that AA place. No, 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 no. Uh, and then that's, you know, quickly turned and now I have to really speed up because there's only a couple minutes. I'll, I'll go. So there was the fun story. Had a terrible time. I went to a treat. I went to a treatment center, sober living place out in California in 1995, and my sober date is 2001. So obviously, I had some issues from 1995 to 2001 to get and stay here. Uh, and you know, it's it, it's been a trip. I mean, I was introduced to AA in 1995, like that, and 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 ever since then, like I went through my stuff out there, whatever. I have a million stories about that too, and then. I'll just say that I got, you know, I went to my first, I always tell the story, my first day of AA in New York was February 27th, 1996, must have been it. And I went to the fireside meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, I got a sponsor the first day, this guy, Patrick, who's still sober, I know that. But it was very cute. He gave me a he gave me a Marianne Williamson book that said a return to love this is my day one. And there was this really cranky old man who I loved named Dan C. 
he wasn't old either, but uh, he was this really cranky gay guy and he was, he was dying of AIDS and he was sober. And I did, I shouldn't have told this story. Oh, I can't. Danny helped me so much, but Patrick was my sponsor and he hands me this Marianne Williams book, A Return to Love, which FYI is not on our literature table. It's not an AA approved book. Okay. And Danny came up to me and goes, what is that? I said, Patrick, my new sponsor just gave me this book. He goes, this is not what we do in AA. And we're like in the garbage can and went. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then, you know, and then that night too, my introduction to AA is, you know, I got to, um, so then it was, I went to that meeting and I was like, all right, this is okay. And then all these guys were like, you got to come to this meeting called Never Too Late. And it was on Tuesday nights. And, you know, and Ava was the speaker. So that was like how 20 plus years ago, whatever that was. And, you know, and I, and I think that's pretty amazing to know people that long in Alcoholics Anonymous. And a lot of you have known for over 20 years and I don't want to get all weepy and cry and all that kind of stuff. When Hal spoke here, you guys saw, I was like having a complete meltdown because he was talking about Fireside and these guys and the ones, the ones who aren't with us anymore. It was just, and I only have a couple minutes left here. So I was introduced. It was crazy. Um, I came to this meeting for the first time. I, I, I always try, like, I think I got it figured out now because Joel was the chair. So it was like 1999. And he was, I think he was the last of the six months, you know, you do the six months. And then Becca was elected and she did the first full year. So that was 2000. So that, so been here since then, like on and off. I mean, for the most part, I was here. There was different times I was in California or out on Long Island. And, you know, this, that, and the next thing happened. I didn't want to listen to anybody. I got drunk a bunch of times, got into a lot of trouble between 1996 and 2001. I celebrated a year three times. Don't suggest that. I had two watches here. We don't normally do that anymore. Uh, and and I'll just say, because there's just a couple minutes left, I, you know, I just wanted to give the drinking story and stuff tonight. I don't think I have any big revealing exciting thing to tell anybody about like how to get or stay sober i just know that god has given me so so much i, I mean i think about i mean and i and often hear at AA meetings people when they do the you know seconds and inches how did i know that this person could do this or this you know how did i know i would get to meet this person and the people that we meet is like the most important thing here and the journey that we're on i uh at, now I'm really just completely stuck, but I know this. I've been sober for over 22 years now. Uh, I've tried to do the steps to the best of my ability, tried to help some other people go through this stuff. And it's it's just an exciting, amazing thing. And, and I will just say, you know, if you're new, just stay here and like ask somebody for help. I mean, this meeting, I've never seen like a meeting like this in my life. I've gone to all kinds of meetings and all kinds of places where somebody's new and people just like surround them, like, and with love too. It's like, here's a phone number. You want to go get a 
coffee, you want something to eat, let's do this, let's find out what's going on with you and let's get you into the work so that you can have this gift that God has given all of us. And that is just a really beautiful, amazing thing. And I will say that, you know, you know, life is fairly good. There's, I've had a lot of huge change this year and that's fine. God has a plan. I have no idea what it is. I get, uh, uh, I thought I was really, 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 really in love and had found the one this year. That didn't last for more than a week. <laughs> Gave it a shot. <laughs> but I don't know what God has in plan, has in store for me or for you or anybody. And it's just so exciting to be on this path with everyone. And I'm so grateful that, like, the other gift, and I'll just say a couple, like, the gifts that you get. Yesterday, I got to have Christmas celebration with my beautiful friend, Olga, who lives out in Southampton with her parents and her two teenage sons. And to be with them and their extended family and all of these people and like, and I'm sober and my friend's sober and her kids don't have to ever see her be drunk and, you know, and their father is sober. It's just, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I, I held her oldest son when he was a baby. I was at the hospital the night he was born. And that's what you get if you stay around here and stay sober. You, and I could tell a million stories about so many people in here and all the exciting, fun stuff I got to do with them. Uh, I'll just close with this. Just another little fun AA story because he's right here. You know, I spoke at the Soho meeting. I don't know how many years ago that was. And there was this angry kid like sitting in the crowd but I, you know, I gave my fire and brimstone talk about how we got to get sober and stay sober and quoted the book and all that stuff. And this guy runs up to me and goes, I, I got to find out what your story is. And, and I brought angry Derek to the Atlantic group. And he was the angriest guy I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, beyond me. And then he was here a while with me. And then, of course, he met Stacy, who actually helped him and took him through the work and now he's the, the you know and what a great friend he like, so you make me cry just looking at you i can't so um i think that whatever we're at i'm done uh i thank you all for the year it was really amazing congratulations to the celebrants here they come we got the december celebrants tonight so th-